DJ PK, Utah Media Availability. Here's the head coach, Kyle Whittingham. Okay, heading into our last week of spring ball. Uh, it's been a good, uh, productive uh, spring session so far. We've got uh, fairly physical padded practice today. Uh, no padded practice on Thursday, and then we culminate with the uh, spring game on Saturday. Looking forward to getting back in the stadium with uh, at least some fans. Uh, I think we're capped at 6,500 or 7,000 right there, right uh, in that neighborhood. So uh, it'll be uh, good to get in front of fans again. Like I said, I haven't been in front of fans since, uh, what, the season of 19. So uh, it's been, uh, like I said, a lot, a lot of good things have transpired uh, this spring. A lot of players uh, have gotten uh, much better, which is the objective. I mean, you hope you would hope that would happen, and, and it did. Uh, we have identified some some uh, strengths of the team and things that uh, need to continue to be uh, addressed. So that's where we're at, and uh, we're going to make the most of these last three and uh, the spring game. And hopefully, everyone gets a, a good flavor of uh, what we're all about when you when you're able to watch the spring game on Saturday. Questions. First question will come from Trevor Allen, KSLSports.com, followed by Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Good morning, Kyle. How are you? Good. Thank you. Good morning. Um, have, have you already gone through guys that, that you're going to hold out during the, the spring game? Yes, uh, preliminarily. We still haven't finalized that. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in practice today and Thursday. Thing, you know, somebody tweaks an ankle or something that could change uh, what our thought process is. But, but uh, yeah, we've already got to start on that. And, uh, you know, we don't have anything to announce today because, uh, like I said, it's not finalized and, and that will be finalized uh, by Thursday and, and we'll proceed from there. And then to follow up on that, have, have, uh, you, you've already said Bernard's the, the number one running back. Has Chris Curry or T.J. Pledger made any progress towards getting that, that number one spot or maybe even made a, a push for that number two spot? They, they have definitely closed the gap. Uh, Makai has continued to, to perform exceptionally well this spring, though, and so he's, he's uh, still the number one tailback. But both Chris and TJ have, have shown a lot of uh, progress and really uh, what they needed to do is feel comfortable with their assignments and, and uh, their uh, role in the offense. And, and they're starting to do that now and, and really settle in and they're going to be contributors as well. So uh, we'll see what happens uh, through fall camp, uh, whether or not we're going to have uh, one tailback at the majority of the reps or, or by committee, we'll see what happens. And that, that uh, you know, it's a good problem to have right now. We got uh, those three guys that we think are all very capable. Next up, Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Kyle. Good morning. Good morning, Josh. Uh, kind of a bigger picture question. Uh, it sounds like the dead period is finally going to end on June first. Uh, assuming that does happen, do you have any inclination of what the calendar or what the rules might look like as you jump back in on June first? What we're anticipating is. Uh, just as you mentioned, June 1st, things opening back up. We don't anticipate that being a contact period, more of a uh, evaluation period where, or not evaluation, but a period, a quiet period where we can have uh, athletes visit our campus, uh, either officially or unofficially, but we don't anticipate being able to go out and visit other campuses and, and do any off-campus recruiting. Um, we, I think the, the meetings, well, I know the meetings are tomorrow and Thursday, uh, and that's supposed to be addressed. You don't always get all the answers you want uh, in these meetings. Sometimes they delay those answers, but uh, we're anticipating to know a lot more uh, after the meetings uh, culminate on Thursday. And uh, my, the, the best guess is, like I said, on June 1, we'll go to that period where we can have players back on campus for visits, and uh, there'll probably be another dead period uh, kick in in July sometime. And then hopefully, you know, the, the evaluation period will begin uh, in September again where we can go out and uh, watch high school games and that type of thing. But, but uh, to be determined, but uh, that's my best guess as, as to how it's going to uh, unfold. Just to follow that up, obviously things have been um, unorthodox for a year. Kids haven't been on campus. You guys have been doing Zoom calls and, and things of that nature. Is there any element of what you've done for the last year that you would be happy to maybe carry into normal times? Absolutely. And that uh, would start with being able to talk to uh, juniors on the telephone. Uh, whereas before, you only had a one call 
uh, limitation during the spring ball or the spring recruiting window. Uh, we've been able to have several Zoom calls and contacts with uh, with the uh, class of 22 players. And uh, that's something that I hope the NC2A lets us hang on to because I think it's been a good thing. And particularly with the, uh, with the early signing date, it lets you get to know these players better and develop a relationship with them. And so hopefully that uh, is here to stay. But, but uh, of course, you know, it's up to them. We'll find out uh, next few days, hopefully. Next, we'll go to Bill Riley, ESPN 700, followed by Josh Furlong, KSL.com. Morning, Kyle. Morning. So um, we know who your top three wide receivers are, at least from a production standpoint throughout their career. Over this month that you've had practice, has a number four or number five or a hierarchy behind Enos, Covey, and, and Dixon evolved? Yeah, uh, Devon Bailey would be uh, in the number four slot right now. Uh, Money Parks has done some good things, battling for that number five spot. Uh, we've had some other uh, receivers. Kane Savage, uh, who we moved from corner, has, has showed some promise. But uh, right now, there's, uh, you know, those four are, are clearly at the top, uh, the three you mentioned, plus Devon Bailey. And uh, like I've said uh, for a while now, we plan on adding uh, at least one more receiver via the portal. And uh, that will happen uh you know, in the next uh, couple months, ideally. And so the, that player can be on campus here for the, for the June workouts. And so uh, it's a work in progress, that position group. But uh, they've done a nice job this spring, and they've developed. But uh, we still think that we need to uh, add, uh, like I said, a receiver or two to that group uh, when all is said and done. Next up, Josh Furlong, KSL.com. Yeah, Kyle, you kind of touched on this, talking about the receivers, obviously, in the offseason. But after this week, what is the primary objective for your team? Like, what are, you, what are you hoping them to kind of accomplish in the summer? Slash, what are you hoping to accomplish as a coaching staff? Okay, well, first of all, they have a lot of downtime. The NCAA mandates uh, what they call discretionary weeks, where you have to uh, have no football activities, no organized football activities for them. And so we expect once we're done with spring ball, uh, we'll have exit interviews next week. And then they're really on their own, so to speak, until uh, June 1 when this uh, summer player development starts, uh, Tuesday, June 1. So what we expect between when spring ball is finished in that period is for them to work out on their own and stay in shape and not, not uh, you know, get uh, out of shape. So we got to get them back in shape when they get back. We need to be able to hit the ground running on June 1st with, with a team that's uh, taking care of themselves and ready to, ready to uh, train and, and get after it. And that period is a nine-week period, uh, the summer development. You have uh, nine weeks to work out eight weeks. You have to give them one week off in that, in that time frame uh, for NC2A rules. And then we'll roll right into fall camp. And uh, then we, you know, that's the, the uh, prelude into the season. So that's, that maps out the next, what, uh, three or four months and, until fall camp starts in August. Following up on that real quick, but how, you know, in your, your, your coaching um, tenure, you know, how, how often do guys go into this summer break and you see a noticeable difference when you come into fall? Is it, is it pretty common or is that something that it really takes a different type of player or, or, or is there much of a difference when you enter into fall? It's very, very common to see some big, see big changes physically, uh, particularly in the younger players that, that haven't uh, developed like some of your older guys. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, a fourth year guy that's becoming a fifth year guy. Uh, doesn't have as much room to develop as as some of those you know, young freshmen that are in your program. And so we expect to see a lot of progress, particularly from the younger guys, and adding weight and strength and and uh, getting faster. And and uh, that's part of the process. I mean, you got to continually uh, trying to get better and and uh, trying to uh, get your body ready for a for a uh, Division One football season. We'll go back to Trevor Allen. Where's your depth at, at cornerback now that uh, you have uh, Kane Savage over at, at corner or over at, at wideout? Where where do you how how do you feel about the depth at corner? We feel good about it. We've got uh, Clark Phillips and JT Broughton who are uh, starters on the outside right now. Malone Mata LA is the nickel scheduled to be the nickel. You know, unless somebody uh, beats those guys out, that's how we're going to the fall. Uh, Fabian Marks is doing a nice job on the outside. He'd probably be the first guy in at this point in time. Uh, we've also got Macari A. Pleasant Johnson, who has really had a good spring and starting to come of age. Uh, Kenzel Waller on the outside as well. Um, 
Aaron Lowe backs up Malone Mattelli at the nickel spot. And then Zamaya Vaughn, who we moved from safety to corner, has uh, transitioned very well with that position. And uh, so, so we feel like we're going to be in, in pretty good shape and uh, we'll add another player or two this summer. And uh, that, that group will be, uh, I think we have scheduled to have 10 scholarship uh, corners in the program by fall. Okay, that was your last question. Thank All right, there is Kyle Whittingham. And uh, how's the depth at corner? Because uh, you moved a guy to wideout. Well, the depth at corner is really good, or he wouldn't have moved a guy, PK. <laughs> what's, uh, what's, sense, yeah. what's the priority? <laughs> corner. Kyle moves guys from offense to defense all the time. The defense to offense move we don't see as often. Defense to offense, trying to think of the highest profile guy who did that, and nobody comes to mind. Right. And I will say that, uh, you know, and most of the guys are coming in with an offensive rep from high school. You know, depending on the program, they might be playing two ways. Um, but it's very common to get the best athletes at running back and quarterback and move them to other spots. So. All right, we're getting ready to hear from Jim Harding. Getting ready for some offensive line talk right here. Here's Jim Harding. Those of you who'd like to ask questions, please use the raise hand feature. We'll start off with Hans Olsen of 97.5 and 12.8 of his own, followed by Trevor Allen, kslsports.com. Go ahead, Hans. Hey, Coach. Uh, just interested to know what went into the shuffling of the offensive line and and what it was that landed Nick Ford there at the center position eventually? Yeah, it's a um, great question. I, I think really uh, Nick has an extremely high football IQ. Uh, he does a very good job of, of uh, communicating up front. Uh, you know, we had a couple younger players last year and he's a really calming uh, presence on the, on the sidelines, but uh you know, he came in, he, he's played obviously a number of different positions. So that's lent to the uh, ability to, you know, know uh, the calls and things like that. But he's really done a nice job uh, executing the, the center quarterback exchange, as well as, uh, again, the football IQ. Just it, I think it's a natural fit for him. And just kind of to follow up on that, was there a pretty lengthy conversation to have him come back for another year? Because I, I do know that he's a, a draftable level offensive lineman, or is that all his decision? How does that conversation go? Yeah. So uh, there was discussion between him and his parents in terms of what was best for him. Uh, we sat down, coach Sharif Shaw recruited him from uh, San Pedro, uh, myself and coach Whittingham. We had a zoom call. Uh, it was over Christmas break and just said, Here's why we think you should come back and gave him the, uh, you know, our opinion. Uh, he went back and sat down with his parents and, and obviously chose to come back, which we're extremely excited about. And, and we just think he can continue to improve his draft stock as, uh, as the season plays out. Next up, Trevor Allen, KSLSports.com, followed by Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Jim, I wanted to ask about uh, Jaron Kump. I mean, he got he got basically five free games last year without you know messing up his uh, his years in college. Um, do do you feel like that that benefited him the most among all your players on the offensive line having that that free year to get all of that experience? Yeah, I think it helped a lot of those guys. Uh, Sakawa Laumei is another kid that came in as a as a freshman, and even the guys that had played uh, in prior games. I think that that experience. Um, is invaluable, but certainly in Jaron's case, coming off of a mission, uh, having an opportunity to get a feel for what it takes to play at this level, uh, certainly cannot be understated. But again, I think that uh, it was a huge benefit for, for not only our offensive line, but I would imagine most teams in the country. And then where where is his uh, progress right now? How, how is he doing in spring ball? He's doing really well. He's, uh, you know, certainly just like all of our guys, we got things that we got to improve upon, but uh, he is making a lot of progress, becoming more comfortable, um, you know, being more assertive in terms of making his calls. And, and like you mentioned before, there's a lot of things that he saw in a game uh, that we're seeing from our defense and his reactions are, are much quicker. And, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, we feel he's going to be a high level player uh, in this conference. Next is Bill Riley, ESPN 700, followed by Steve Bartle from Ute Zone. Morning, Jim. Good morning. How are you? 
I'm good. Um, from where you were in, say, October till now, uh, the names are just about all the same, but where are you from a developmental standpoint and where, you know, you kind of want to have this line to be? Well, I think the biggest thing that's shown through this spring ball is the, the competition. First of all, we're going against an extremely good defensive line. Uh, that's always going to uh, make us uh, have to perform each and every day. But because we have so many guys coming back, uh, I think that there has never been an opportunity this spring for a kid to take a practice off mentally or physically. And so that development, uh, I think, is, is speeding up because each and every day these kids know not only are we, like I said, playing against a really good defensive line, but there's guys that are, are good enough in this room to uh, to push for starting spots. And so, you know, if I were to, to say right now, um, you know, I think we have eight or nine guys in, in the uh, offensive line that can help us win, uh, which is a great problem to have because obviously you can only play five. So that competition is going to continue to, uh, you know, go all the, all the way through uh, fall camp and into the first week of the season. And to follow that up, is this, is this in your time here at least, the best, I guess, depth you've had when you look all the way down the roster at the offensive line? Uh, I know that this group doesn't like me to say it, but that 2016 team, we ended up going through four uh, centers, uh, starting out with JJ, or really starting out with Hiva Latui, then JJ, then Lowe, and then we settled on uh, Nick Nowakowski just because of a number of injuries. So, um, you know, that, that offense line was extremely deep. Uh, you know, and I reference that line quite a bit with these guys, but I, I do believe, especially because of how young we are uh, still uh, with the, the COVID year, really we only have Orlando and Bam are our only seniors. Uh, and I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. And then uh, Nick Ford is our only junior and everybody else is sophomore and below. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of depth and a lot of young depth. So that's a, that's a good problem to have. Next up is Steve Bartle from Ute Zone, followed by Hans Olson. Morning, Coach. Good morning. Um, sorry, <laughs> these are always awkward. The, the, the intros. I, I apologize. I know all I can see on the screen is just my picture and then just your guys' name. So it, it's kind of uh, <laughs> a little bit awkward, but uh, nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> um, wanted to ask you about two guys that have been in the program now two years: uh, Falcon Kamatule and and uh, Felix. Uh, Fualalu, uh, just their progress. They were during their recruitment. We always talked about them as being kind of multiple year projects. Just curious to get an update on their progress in the program. Yeah, we knew coming in uh, when they got here that it was going to be a little bit of uh, developmental uh, growing pains. You know, it's going to take a little bit of time, but the Falcons up to actually 291 right now. And uh, I think he's making a lot of progress. Uh, in addition, Luke uh, not only traveled last year, but played on a PAT field goal. Uh, I think that they're, uh, you know, continuing to make progress. Uh, certainly, just like all the guys, have some things to, to improve upon. Uh, but without a doubt, I, I think that uh, they are progressing the way we wanted. And uh, again, just like I mentioned a minute ago, there's a lot of good players in that room. And, and so they're competing to try to get into that you know, top five or, or top 10. So, uh, but I, I do feel uh, they are making progress. Our last two, and then, Hans Olsen and Sammy Mora after a follow-up for Steve Arnold. Again, sorry, Paul. I'm the worst at these, I swear. Um, and I swear I ask about this all the time, but uh, Kyle mentioned that Bam Oleseni has been a pleasant surprise this spring camp. Can you talk about what he's specifically showing this camp that that allows him to be a pleasant surprise? I think the biggest thing uh, for him is now that he is in uh, what would be the third year in the system, his mental errors have decreased quite a bit. Uh, the other thing is, and, and I don't say this, uh, I would say it to him and he knows it, his body weight is under control. He's done a much better job of doing what it takes off the field away from this facility. Uh, I want to say he's, he's uh, around 330 now where, where uh, when he first got here, that was certainly uh, an issue for him. Uh, but he has made a lot of progress. And again, you know, he, he's competing against uh, a really good defensive line every single day. And, and there's guys that are in our room that are, are uh, competing for spots as well. But the two biggest things I would say is his comfort level in the system. And then again, uh, just his 
approach to what he's doing away from the facility uh, when it relates to his body weight is, is, is a, a huge difference in how well he's performing right now. Go back to Hans Olsen. Coach, we see defensive linemen enter into the transfer portal and wide receivers. We don't see a lot of offensive linemen enter into transfer portals. I'm curious how you manage kind of their expectations as a starter and how you keep them unified. And, and I'm just interested, why don't we see as many offensive linemen as we do maybe specialty positions? Well, uh, to be completely honest, that, that is something that does concern me with the uh, youth in our room and the amount of good players we do have. Uh, but what, what I've tried to do this spring is talk about, and in fact, we, we talked about it yesterday in our meeting, it's going to take 10 to 12 guys when it's all said and done for us to get done what we want to uh, this season. And that might be because of injuries. That might be because, you know, continued competition throughout the season. Um, and so we talk about everybody owning their role. Everybody has an important role to play. And, and some of you get, you know, some of the guys may not necessarily like their role as it sits right now. But the great thing is, and I think the players believe this is they're controlling who's playing. You know, we, Coach Whittingham uh, and the rest of the staff, you know, we're not interested in who's playing. We're just, you know, our job is to play the best players. And so really they are controlling how much uh, they're playing, what their role is. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the general overall question, you know, I think offense alignment in general, uh, as you know, probably as well as anyone on here, you know, there's a different, uh, you know, pride factor. There's a, a you know, there's kind of an us versus them mentality. You know, the offensive line a lot of times is, is uh, not necessarily the, the people to get the, the, you know, most accolades and things like that. So I think that there's a camaraderie that's built in the offensive line room. And, and my hope is, is that I've, uh, you know, done a good enough job of doing that, that we can keep uh, our linemen here because I, I think every one of them, like I mentioned, play an important role in, in not only this season, but the future of the program. Last question comes from Sammy Mora. Morning, Coach. So you've already talked about how you only have those three upperclassmen leading this room. What have those three done to mentor and teach this young room what will fly and what won't fly when it comes to Utah football? Yeah, I, I, you know, Bam is it's still, even though he's an upperclassman, it, it's still somewhat new to the program, but Orlando and, and uh, Nick – both have been voted uh, on our leadership council. Nick uh, voted for uh, captain this spring. And, and so, you know, really, I will have a separate text thread. Coach Whittingham meets with our leadership uh, council as well. But even in our particular room, I really, um, and I know Nick's sitting right here, and, and so I'm not saying this because he's just in the room, but but I'm, I'm on him all the time about, you know, being positive in the huddle, his, uh, his body language, how we're going to approach practice. And so I, I really have forced uh, both he and Orlando to, to really, you know, kind of put aside their, um, you know, their wishes or, you know, hey, I may not have this bump or I may have this bump or bruise, but, but it's more important to get the rest of the guys in the room. And so I know that, that those guys meet regularly uh, on their own. And a lot of times those are organized by, by those leaders in, in the room. And so uh, really it's, it's uh, you know, they're being forced to do it just because we are so young, but, but they've done a great job uh, through what, four, four months of the, of the calendar year so far. So we got to continue to do that um, once people break for, for uh, May and getting back in the summer. All right, there is Jim Harding standing up to leave, the O-line coach. A lot of O-line talk right there, PK. And the fact that he thinks he's got eight or nine guys already locked in and maybe a couple more who can progress. You know, can the Utes reload rather than rebuild? Well, it's pretty clear they could be losing three guys here with two seniors and Nick Ford is a junior already thinking about coming out. But, man, if you're looking long term, it looks like the O-line's set up in a pretty good place. Oh, Dave, it, it's so strong. Uh, what else can you say? I mean, what needs to say? What needs? What else needs to be said? You tell me right now. You got anything? Charlie Brewer and Nick Ford are coming up. We'll hear from them. We've got more on the Jazz going back-to-back. If they were fatigued last night, how will they be against Oklahoma City tonight? Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
out there pk because i asked a question you guys do well i asked a question (laughs) at the end and then i had to this is technology and live zoom and commercial breaks i wanted nick to go into why he decided to come back and not go pro because jim harding said he considered it and so what went into that and so then i have to because technically to go on the air i have to turn the volume down so i can't hear the answer it i don't want to go into it but it would mess it up we'd have feedback it'd be terrible so yuck (laughs) is recording in there and he can't start the segment until Nick's done with the answer and Nick apparently really went in depth although I haven't heard the answer yet but apparently he did Yach's like I gotta restart the music Nick's still going (laughs) so we need to hear the fight song twice well he didn't have anything to go to or he just had to come into like the last 20 seconds of Nick's press conference oh that was good times zooming during the show nobody trained for this PK (laughs) Technically, it was a little overwhelming. So the band got a workout. Great, great. (laughs) Come back, people. (laughs) Charlie Brewer, the quarterback, is coming up here momentarily. We heard from uh, Barry Trammell, who said he was a good Big 12 quarterback, which means he's a good quarterback. He did say the last year was a mess. He didn't think that was on Charlie. Baylor had COVID issues. Baylor had a new coach, and it didn't go the way anybody wanted. I think they went 2-7. and Uh, which is uh, which is pretty tough when you're coming off a Sugar Bowl season. That's a that's a pretty big fall right there. So, Charlie Brewer's media availability is coming up momentarily. Now, are you going to ask questions or what, what's the story here? I mean, I what know. do I? What I got to listen to the fight song? <laughs> this will be live. It'll be a different deal. Oh, <laughs> Nick went all yeah. the way through the commercial break. <laughs> Freak. Oh, man. All right. Uh, while we wait for Charlie Brewer, we've also got uh, the NBA, the Jazz losing last night, and we will get to uh, more on the defeat there and why can't the best team in the NBA beat the lowly Washington Wizards, who have 20 wins and 33 losses, but are miraculously 6-2 and two against the Clippers and Lakers and the Jazz and the Nets. So go figure. Apparently they get up for the big games. Uh, Brent wrote it off, PK, said two of our key guys were out. It makes a big difference. Uh, their all-stars are really good. It's a good thing Bogey was lights out. We're fine. Yeah, lost in all of that is uh, Bogey. Is that is that the end of the slump and the, the return to uh, Bogey's greatness? Because he was filling it up, finished with 33 points and was, uh, and was hitting his threes. In rhythm, looked really comfortable. And they were going in. Well, if you're looking for positive signs, that's obviously one of them. Scott says, for some dumb reason, we pull out a guy who's going off, and then we put him back in when he's cooled off. I'll never understand why you take out a guy who's lighting the other team up. Yeah, I thought Quinn Snyder's defense on Donovan Mitchell was excellent there <laughs> in the first set quarter. Remind you of the old, uh, the only person who can hold Michael Jordan under 20 is Dean Smith? hey Yeah, I mean, wow. That was, uh, I think I probably would have left him in, but I'm just a Yahoo. What do I know? It seemed like he had it going on, 14 consecutive points. And so uh, there you go. And then he comes off and doesn't uh, regain his rhythm in terms of making baskets until the end. And then, then he was sensational again. Yeah. Finishing 42 you know, is pretty good. I don't know that the offense was the problem in the game anyway, so you can say that. Uh, but I think he missed like 12 in a row, which was unusual. And then still have the night that he had while missing 12 in a row <laughs> is even more incredible. But there probably was more shots available with uh, Conley and Clarkson out. So but it's not like he had an awful percentage either. So he's, he's just a terrific player. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but uh, they need to just do something better as far as defense, particularly at the points in the paint. There was atro- It was atrocious. And we're so used to them being good in that way that when they aren't, it really, it's like it sticks out doubly. Yep. 
Absolutely agree with that. Uh, 42 points in 39 minutes for Mitchell. And, uh, and he still had six assists in the game on, on top of all of that. But you're right. No Clarkson. He's going to take a lot of shots. Conley takes a decent number of shots as well. So there were certainly more shots available. Bogey got 18 and Ingles got 16. So those guys were, were letting it fly. But the problem was at the other end of the court. And there were just uh, too many big quarters. A 70-point half really turns heads. When, when the Jazz hold teams under 110 points, their record is excellent. You get in that 110 to 120 range, they're pretty much a 500 club. And you get over 120, they're going to lose. You know, they haven't done a lot this year, but basically half their losses this year are when they give up 120 points or more. It's, you know, you can draw a straight line from one thing to the other. Uh, well, I think that's probably the straight line on every team in the league, though. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go through it and let you nerds figure that out. I'm not going to go through it either. I think that goes back to your point that their interior defense is so good and enables guys to really defend the three-point line, so there just aren't that many times when a team gets to 120. And sometimes other teams get hot, like the Dallas game last week, whenever it was, but I, I didn't think that was the case. I mean, Robin Lopez with that sweeping slow motion hook everybody likes to say slow-mo joe robin lopez makes uh joe ingles look like he's uh, yosemite sam there uh, and he still put it in and he's a, he's a veteran player been in the league for many many years now but still that bothered me uh, the good thing about bogdanovich as, as i look long term is that he did go through a prolonged shooting slump which for him you know he acknowledged it's the worst it had ever been but the good thing about him is that He's decided to be aggressive and taking the ball to the basket. So with that in mind, if he's hitting his threes again, he still has that other game that, you know, obviously it's been there, but we hadn't seen it as much. And we, we've seen it the last several weeks of him taking guys off the dribble, getting down low, using his size and his ability and his skill and all that stuff. So he, now, he can go to that with confidence. And then if he's regaining his confidence from the perimeter, then he becomes even more difficult to defend, which is obviously great news for the Jazz. So we'll have to see. That's something to develop because watching him try to find other ways to score when the outside shot wasn't hit, wasn't going, has actually been a benefit and a plus because he's been he's been better at that, best we've seen in the year and a half or so or almost two years that he's been with the team. So I look forward to him continuing that as part of his arsenal and also, of course, making the three. More, more choices you got, more options. It's always good in life, and it's good in the NBA. And now Bogey's got more options. We've seen Donovan Mitchell uh, expand what he's able to do. More options, more options, more options. We got more people weighing in on uh, Facebook here. Uh, Jason says, it reminds me of the times when we had trouble beating the pesky Timberwolves. We will be okay. I realize that's just an expression, but people don't want okay, PK. They want greatness. They want it now. It's an opportunity. Lots of teams struggling with injuries, and the Jazz have a very good team. So strike while the iron is hot. Yeah, I understand all that, and that, that's fine. And losing to Washington, losing them twice, you know, you don't think that's good news. I, I understand that. But when we get to the postseason, you get a reset. And from that point, that whatever obsession we have over losses and wins now is going to pale in comparison to what happens when we get to the postseason in uh, over a, just a little over a month now. So uh, worry about that then uh, compared to the worry now. The worry then would be far greater. And the good thing is that you know they've got they've got so many games coming at you that they can wash that taste right out. If they were to lose tonight, then it would be panic time. We'd all be running through the streets of whatever city you're in. <laughs> this is some scene out of a movie. What's your favorite favorite movie panic scene? <laughs> Semi-pro from Will Ferrell. Everybody well, panic. Well, I mean, of course, that, that's the one, yeah. Specifically, we all go to back that one because he uses that very word. So, uh, yeah, I would anticipate that they would win tonight uh, with, uh, I assume Conley's going to be back. I don't know about Clarkson, if there's any doubt, I'd I'd sit him there, and then we get to be entertained by whatever getup he's wearing over there on the sidelines. Uh, so uh, you've got that, and then you got two days off until what? They play Friday. Uh, yeah, they got Friday and Saturday afternoon games. Really weird, but like a one o'clock game and then a two thirty game. You don't see that very often, but it's yeah. a crazy year. What are you going to do? Well, I guess once you have the Saturday matinee, you have to have the Friday matinee because there there's NBA rules against well, you know. So it's a way too. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Play seven. We talked about that night. last week when you were gone. Yeah. That uh, that was really bizarre, and I thought uh, when it, when have they ever had a uh, weekday matinee? You know, they have that in baseball. Yeah. Obviously in football, they play during the day, so I think it's probably because of the travel situation there. So they can get to, to Los Angeles, they can be on the plane by five o'clock uh, if they want, and and get in and be at their hotel by eight o'clock at the latest, which would give them the normal rest time to be ready to go for a back to back. So I assume that's why they're doing it. It would be fun to have them play on a Friday afternoon, though. Uh, watch that, and it's a little bit it's it's different and. You know, my job is uh, to watch them when they play, so I don't have to worry about work because that is work. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that works out. That works out well for me, which is you know one of the things I'm very interested in having things work out well for me. So I would assume Conley would be back tonight. But but the good thing that I've seen from this ball club uh, is that when they've had a slip up, they they've seemed to respond. You know, the, the Phoenix game wasn't losing in overtime to a team that has the second best record. It's not exactly a slip up uh, last Wednesday, right? They didn't win the game, but it wasn't, it wasn't horrendous. Like, Oh my gosh, how could you possibly do that? And then we're thinking that they got a scheduled loss against Portland. Well, no, not at all. Actually run Portland off the court. Basically win going away. I heard Damon Lillard say we, we get basically pasted when we play the best teams in the league. And that was a telling statement by him. True, obviously. And he went through and he talked about that stuff. So my point is that when we've sort of, to a degree, not completely, it's not a big count out, but when we counted out the Jazz as far as their chances of winning, they've come back and they've won. Now, I'm not going to count them out against Oklahoma City, a team that sucks right now. That's too extreme. But the point is that they've rebounded well from losses and have really had no prolonged streak so far well into the season and plus 50 games on a 72-game schedule. So that's a good sign because obviously you're going to lose in the playoffs, right? You're not, I, I seriously doubt they're going to go 16-0 and zero to win the title. It's not going to happen. But they've been able to, whether it's through film work or more concentration and focus, whatever it is, they've managed to bounce back quick. I think those two things are important, and then I'd have to also circle the law of numbers. No law of numbers. Absolutely. No I love the law of numbers. I know Matt. How are you circling them? I know Matt didn't mean to say law of numbers, but I'm really enjoying the fact he did. That's an expression that needs to get a little more traction. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad he threw that out there. Way to take one for the so, team, Matt. Because explain I think, your point on that. Because I think that uh, as much as we focus on the defensive end, and I get why we do, and it certainly bears out in the results, and if we try to focus on anything else, Quinn will redirect us in the post-game yeah. Zoom sessions, and, and I right. get all of that. But there are teams losing because the offensive end of the floor, and it doesn't happen to the Jazz a lot because there are a lot of different guys who can score. They've got some high-end guys who are very efficient. You know, Donovan Mitchell, you can't tell by looking at the box score that he went out there and couldn't make a shot for 10 or 20 minutes. And you just, you can't tell by looking at the box score because although he was ice cold in the middle of the game, he was red hot at the start and at the end. And it comes back to because he's really good, the law of averages, or aka the law of numbers, it's going to work out keep going and we've seen that with the jazz shooting you know they'll have a bad quarter but they'll have a great quarter they'll have a couple guys off because there's five or six guys you really trust to shoot the three even though bogey had this prolonged slump it didn't lead to this uh, massive drop in the standings where they dropped a third in the west you know because there are other guys who can produce and so the the law of numbers works out for them in multiple ways because of their elite guys but also because of the depth they have throughout the roster you know, if you keep playing the quote-unquote right way, then the law of averages is going to bail you out when you hit a cold stretch because mm-hmm. yeah. you are that good individually and collectively. All right, DJ and PK. All right, Yach's been, uh, been flying there. Yach, you got – what do you want us to do, Yach? You get this tease. What happens next? Hopefully Charlie Brewer. If not, we'll have Nick Ford. Uh, okay. So Charlie Brewer hasn't talked yet. Hasn't talked yet. Yeah, no. All right. Charlie Brewer, Utah quarterback coming up. PK's right. People want to hear from the quarterbacks. We will get Charlie Brewer when he speaks. Whether that's in the next segment or the one after remains to be seen. Stay with us. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Utah quarterback Charlie Brewer, the Baylor transfer, just sat down to talk to the media. Listen in. A lot of the stuff we've been doing this spring has been, been really good stuff. And, you know, it's – 
you know, we've made a lot of explosive plays and stuff like that. So it's been great so far. Next question will come from Trevor Allen with KSL Sports, followed by Josh Furlong with KSL.com. Charlie, I know that one of the the big things whenever you're you're making a move, especially after a few years at Baylor, is getting is getting that that chemistry with your wideouts. How how has that been throughout spring ball, getting used to guys like Britton Covey, Solomon Enos, Devon Vele, and others? It's been good. You know, I think it, it's improved. You know, day by day, day by day, week by week. Um, you know, on our own, we we would throw um, during winter conditioning in the off season. So got a head start there, but, um, you know, throughout spring, I think it's improved every day. So it's been really good. Those guys have made a lot of plays. And then to follow up, I know that the old line is another thing that is, is, is a big change for you. How, how have they been uh, doing during, during spring ball? And, and do you feel like that this is a very good group? Yeah, I think it's a great group. I think, um, you know, those guys have, Played really well all spring, gotten better each practice, and um, you know, led by Nick. I think, you know, those guys, you know, played really hard and um, a great unit. Next question will come from Josh Furlong, followed by Sammy Mora. Yeah, Nick came in here just a little bit ago and said that uh, one of the reasons he came back was this team feels kind of similar to that 2018 team, which was one that uh, obviously, you know, was contending for the playoffs. You know, I'm, I'm sure when you were at Baylor, you guys were looking at Utah a little bit, knowing that you guys were in a very similar situation and you were able to do, you know, well there. What, what can you kind of um, get from that season, specifically since 2019 was cut short with COVID and everything, but what can you get from that and how do you feel like you can kind of assimilate back to the 2018 season for you and Utah. Yeah, I I do remember, um, I think Utah was like five, we were six or something like that. Um, But, you know, I think just a season where you have a lot of success, um, you know, a lot of things go into that. You know, you got to, you got to play well week to week. You can't, you can't slip up. Um, You know, and I think when you have an older group of guys that have played a lot of football, that that makes it easier. It makes it easier to, you know, make sure that doesn't happen. Um, so I think, you know, I think we got the guys to do it. Um, you know, it's just now it's just about the little things that go into it. And I definitely see, you know, the potential. Next question is from Sammy Mora. Hey, Charlie. Um, I was just curious where like what you see in this Utah program um, comparison to the Sugar Bowl team that you were a part of at Baylor? You know, I, I mean, every place is, has its own ways a little bit. It's each place is, you know, different. Um, but I, but there are, you know, a lot of similarities I feel um, not completely the same, but I, I see a lot of similarities, you know, there's, you know, a lot of talent on this team. Um, I will say that there's a ton of talent on, on this team. And, um, you know, I always said that uh, Coach Whittingham has his similarities to Coach Rule. Um, so I guess that's a similarity in that way. Next question, I'll go to Josh Furlong, followed by Bill Riley. Charlie, Kyle hasn't been shy about, you know, praising you in this spring and and kind of talking about your talent. Uh, Obviously, you know, in fall, you'll be able to compete, you know, a little bit more in a serious nature in the sense that you guys will have an actual starter named with maybe Cam Rising now in the mix. How do you feel like, you know, you can still keep that competitive edge while knowing that Cam was named the starter last year and and is now, you know, in in essence, essentially that guy until you can kind of beat him out? What what do you feel like that relationship can be like and how do you feel like you you can balance that? I mean, I, I think, you know, competition is great. I think it's, you know, the making of a, a great football team. Um, the more competition you have, um, I think the better. So, you know, I think, you know, Cam's a great guy. Um, we get along very well off the field. Um, so I think the balance is already there of, you know, competition and when to knock him, when to not compete and stuff like that. So, you know, I think, you know, 
I understand the situation. He understands the situation, and you know, and it's just you know, competition. Final question for Charlie. I'll come from Bill Riley. Charlie, I talked to a number of people that, that were around you at Baylor and around, around you in the Big 12, too, and everybody talked about a different trait you had as quarterback, but I think the common denominator with everybody was your competitive streak. Everybody talked about your competitive streak. I'd just be curious, wh where did that, you know, refuse to lose kind of competitive streak that everybody talks about come from? Um. That's a good question. Um, I just, I think just growing up, I loved competing in sports, you know, from a young age, whether it's, you know, watching my older brother, you know, something like that. I just always enjoyed competing. And, you know, I guess it, once I got in high school, I felt, you know, I was under recruited and then, um, then I kind of shifted, uh, you know, well, I'm going to go prove them wrong and, you know, compete my butt off and um, just always had a c competitive nature about me and always, you know, enjoyed competing. All right. Thank you, Charlie. All right. There's Utah quarterback Charlie Brewer meeting with the media. He'll compete with Cam Rising this summer. Do you have the feeling he's already going to beat out Cam Rising? Because I'm pretty sure you do, PK. <laughs> Leading the witness, I know, but <laughs> I was just going to say that's a leading question, Your Honor. It, re it really is. But you know what? You have, you enjoy telling me I'm wrong. You've done it a few times, a few thousand times, and you don't mind it. So you'd be wrong. You, you're not going to be afraid to be uh, to tell me I'm wrong here. Well, I believe that Jaron Hall is going to start at BYU, and I believe Charlie Brewer is going to start at Utah. So, yes, though, to answer your question, which you already answered in the form of a question, <laughs> I believe that that is correct. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to rule out Cam Rising because I want him to get healthy. I want him to have an opportunity to compete. Uh, but the window for him now to be able to compete is so small because, you know, they got three weeks before the start for first game. But you before you start preparing for the first game, but really, you know, they want to get a starter in there as soon as possible. Every coach, every coordinator will tell you that, particularly at that position, right? So it's not like the competition, if you got 28 practices, I think, whatever it is, before the first game, it's not like you're going to go, the, the 27th practice, we got a starter. You're going to do it way before that. So I don't know how much uh, time there's going to be available because rising, unfortunately for him, is not able to compete at the level that he needs to compete at. But he will get an opportunity if he really just takes over when he gets that opportunity. It could happen. But I think for right now, we're going to go with Charlie Brewer and Jern Hall down in Provo, and we'll see You know, if they play well and stay healthy, they'll have the jobs. But I don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, but I think at the start, those are my two starters. Yeah, I think more often than not, it doesn't happen. And I think we've seen a lot of that here in the uh, in both the Pac-12 era for the Utes and the Independence era for BYU. I think this Zach Wilson making it through, I think it's like the third time BYU has started the same guy in every game, or in every game but one, because I think there was one year that um, Taysom Hill played, but he didn't play the bowl game. I think they were in the set was it the poinsettia it was poinsettia yeah the poinsettia yeah, bowl in the rain the there, yeah. against Wyoming yeah, yeah. yeah. so I, it's just very yeah. rare that that happens it's more often like whoever the number one guy is is going to start seven games or nine games or something like that but the, the backup's going to get their chance and sometimes the third stringer does I mean it was a it was a weird year last year for a lot of reasons but the Utes using three quarterbacks in five games I mean that was pretty weird but if, even if you're the third-string guy, stay ready. Your time, your time may well be coming. I do have a little bias against transfer quarterbacks. Okay, because but, as we had Barry Trammell, the columnist from Oklahoma, and I knew what you're going to say because Brewer was playing a ton and those other guys weren't. That, so, that was yes. it. And I was so also going to say that the yeah. bias, if you don't buy into that, which I think there is a logic into buying into that, then well, the fact is the Utes' top two quarterbacks are both transfers. 
And actually, you know, it's funny because Barry was saying, you guys took a couple guys from Oklahoma. I'm like, yeah, it didn't work out, though. Kyle's over it. Now he's taking guys from Texas because he's taking a Baylor kid and a University of Texas kid. And they're both transfers. Well, but, two. They got two Texas kids at quarterback. You're right. Uh, with Jaquindon Jackson, right. And I don't know where he's going to end up on the depth chart there. Um, but they may see him. He's got the athleticism to run the Wildcat, and, and Kyle's answer to that was absolutely. So we may see him even if well, he's for not the in the top being. two. Oh yeah, but yeah, it's a way to, time, for, to for get, this season. It's a way to get him on the field and help you win, help you be successful in some short yardage situations. Typically, where you use the Wildcat, whether it's you know, you know, goal to go or you know, a third and two at midfield or whatever. Uh, but it gets him some experience and helps propel him along. It protects your other guys from getting hit in some running situations, so maybe they're less likely to get hurt and sets him up maybe down the road. Okay, you've been on the field and. Maybe that helps you a little bit as you try to progress and win the job yourself. Oh, well, it can't hurt. I don't think we're going to see Brewer run a lot. It's not going to be Tyler Huntley I, of Huntley's sophomore year. I agree. And Ludwig, one of the things that Ludwig was definitive about is that when he was coming in for Huntley, he said, well, I'm going to make the calls to make sure that, mm-hmm. that the option isn't there, and he'll know where to go. And we saw that, too. And he was very effective at that. And he I stayed think that's healthy. What we'll see from Brewer. <laughs> and he stayed yeah. healthy. The other two years, he's been hurt. I mean, those are two more examples of hey, the backup quarterback's going to play. Yes, and I think that this might be a good situation as far as if you need backup quarterbacks. If if Rising is the number two guy and then has an opportunity, because he, I mean, he showed well in the abbreviated training camp that they had last fall and so he clearly won the job but you know after I saw and I heard man he's looking good looking good looking good he's going to win the job and and sure enough he did but then when I saw what was the other guy Bentley. Bentley you saw Bentley you thought well okay but the in. bar wasn't of course that, he won the job <laughs> right the bar wasn't that high to win the job right right so I, my point is I'm not really sure about Cam rising uh well he'll get an opportunity whether it's this coming season or, or the next season, certainly, because he's got a little time on his side, whereas Brewer doesn't. So I think they're in a good spot as far as having some depth there should they be in that situation where in prior years, I mean, they, they struggled with the depth. So they've improved that there at the quarterback. But I'm, I'm really I'm looking forward to seeing what Brewer can do because, you know, he has eye-popping numbers, and maybe I shouldn't have that bias as far as a quarterback goes to transfer because there's been a number of quarterbacks around the country who've transferred and been very, very good. I mean, none better than Barrow at LSU a couple of years ago. Well, I think that there's uh, probably three ways to play this, and Yak wants us to go to break, so I will tell you the three ways that this can play out next. Stay with us.